Well, if you will, turn with me one last time in 2014 to the book of Exodus and chapter 4. The book of Exodus and chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to grab one from the seats in front of you uh, so that you can look at this passage with us. Uh, You'll find this passage on page 47 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, As I just mentioned, this message will be our last in Exodus uh, during this calendar year. Uh, We will have a uh, really a six-week hiatus during which we will have uh, two Lord's Supper sermons, uh, two uh, uh, sermons from Pastor Merle, uh, probably Christmas, Isaiah 9, uh, I think is, is where we're thinking. Uh, I'll be preaching a, a Christmas sermon the Sunday before Christmas. And, um, and so it'll be January 11th when we come back to the book of Exodus. Uh, This morning we do come to a passage in this book that I have some history with. Um, Back in my late high school years, this was one of those passages that God used to truly turn my world upside down. I had grown up with a very man-centered view of God. I had a passion It was a good passion, I think, to to see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I was the kind of teenager who took gospel tracts to school with me and looked for opportunities to to give them out to others. I had a friend that we would meet together each morning before the school day. We would pray together. We were uh, accountability partners. Uh, I asked other students to come to church with me. Uh, to participate in youth group activities with me. I, I was a, a teenager who, who really longed to see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And verses like John 3.16 were, were woven into the very fabric of my soul, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him will not perish but have everlasting life. But for all my evangelistic zeal, at that point, I had never really started reading the Bible for myself. And so my zeal for souls was a zeal without knowledge. I had good intentions, but I was still very immature in my understanding of salvation. And God in His providence used certain people to bring to my attention a few passages that in those days really confused me. I remember one of the first passages that that stopped me in my tracks and just I I couldn't figure it out was Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 3. Just listen to this. Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and, and eternal judgment. And, and, and at that point in the passage, I'm like, yes, yes, let's grow up, right? Let's not be babies in the faith. Let's leave behind the elementary doctrines. Let's, let's press on to maturity. But then comes verse 3. And this we will do if God permits And I remember being shocked by that verse. 
You mean God might not permit someone to grow up in the faith? Doesn't God want everyone to know him deeply? Doesn't God want every person to be a mature Christian? Why does the verse say, if God permits? Let's press on to maturity. For me, saying if God permits was like saying if, if fish swim, if bacon tastes good, right? Of course, of course God is going to permit. Why would he not? And then there was this passage right here in Exodus 4. For just as surely as I knew that God wants everyone to grow up in the faith, I knew that God wants all people everywhere to be saved. God wants all people everywhere to listen to Him and to trust Him and to love Him and to be His. And therefore, I did not know what to do with Pharaoh. And I especially didn't know what to do with the end of Exodus 4, verse 21. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. What's going on here, God? You're sending a mixed message. You're telling Moses, I'm sending you to appeal to Pharaoh to listen to me. And as you're appealing to him to listen to me, I'm going to harden his heart so that he won't listen. God, don't you mean you're going to soften his heart? God, aren't you going to do everything you can to get Pharaoh to do the right thing? And then on top of that came Romans 9, verse 18, where Paul points back to Pharaoh, and he makes this statement that not only blew my mind, but frankly made me very upset when it was first pointed out to me. Romans 9, 18, Paul says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And there it was in black and white in my Bible. God has mercy on whomever He wills to have mercy. And God hardens whomever He wills to harden. And so how in the world would I, would I make sense of this? It, it took me several years to come to grips with the kind of God that is presented in verses like these. But in the end, it radically changed me. And I am deeply, deeply grateful for the vision of God that is found in the pages of the Bible. The God found in the Bible is not always the same God we find on the lips of Christians today. The God of the Bible is not the man-centered God who exists only to save people. He is a God-centered God who does all that He wills in heaven and on earth and among the inhabitants of the earth. He is a God of goodness and a God of power and a God of awesome glory. So how do we make sense of God's words in Exodus 4, verse 21? First, we're going to read the whole passage. We're going to start in verse 18. We're going to read through verse 23. I'm going to make three brief observations about verses 18 and 19. And then I want us to look at some of the principles that are taught there in verse 21. And as we do this, let's pray that God would help all of us in this room to see Him as He really is in all of His glory, that we might be forever changed. So let's begin reading in verse 18. Verse 18. We've been at the burning bush till now. 
All the last many months we've been together, Moses has been hearing from God at the burning bush. Now he begins to walk away. Verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So let me make three observations from verses 18 and 19. First, notice that Moses was a man who respected authority. Moses was a man who respected authority. God has just told Moses to go to Egypt. But before Moses takes off for Egypt, he goes back to his father-in-law Jethro, who is also his boss, and he asks him for permission to go. Now don't misunderstand. I think we can assume that Moses is going to go no matter what Jethro says. Moses is going to obey God even if Jethro doesn't give him permission. He's, He's under obligation before God to go to Egypt. But we see humility and we see respect here. Moses doesn't want to just leave his father-in-law, whom he has worked for for these 40 years, on bad terms. He, He wants to do this right. And so he goes back to Jethro and asks permission to leave. Friends, there is a lesson for us here. We are to have respect for those whom God has placed over us. Even when we are 80 years old, as Moses is here, We are to continue to show respect to those who are our elders, as Jethro was to Moses. And we are to show respect to those whom God has placed in authority over us. There is no authority in your life that wasn't placed there by God. We obey God when we obey our authorities. And the only time we should ever disobey them is if they ask us to do something that is contrary to the will of God. In every other case, we are to give the authorities in our lives the honor and respect they are due. Even if they themselves are not good people. For God's sake, because we trust God and believe He has placed those people over us, we are to show them respect. And we are to show them honor. Second, we see here that Moses has stayed away from Egypt For 40 years. We see now that a 40 year period has passed since Moses left Egypt. Verse 18 Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. This indicates that Moses has not stayed in contact with the people of Israel in Egypt. 
When he left them, they were in dire straits. When he left his people, they were under severe bondage, but they did not want his leadership. They did not want his help. Having grown up in Pharaoh's court, Moses was not accepted by his kinsmen as one of them. And yet Moses considers himself one of them. He calls them his brothers in this passage. When Moses left Egypt 40 years ago, he left with a price on his head. He had killed an Egyptian taskmaster. and The Pharaoh was out for his life. And now, 40 years have passed. Third, observe from these verses that there has been a change in Egyptian government. There has been a change in Egyptian government while Moses has been away. God reveals to Moses in verse 19 that those who were seeking his life are now dead. This probably refers to the Pharaoh who was in power when Moses fled, as well as those who worked for that Pharaoh. Now, I don't have to tell you that a lot can change in 40 years. Think about the difference in our land between 1974 and 2014. There's been a lot of changes in our land in 40 years. Uh, Some of us were not around in 1974. And those of you that were, I am sure that your lifestyle and your relationships, they've changed in some major ways. People you knew then may no longer be in your life. 40 years is a long time. So what happened in Egypt while Moses was away these 40 years as a shepherd in Midian? Well, if we have the timetable right, Pharaoh Thutmosis II has died. Remember, Pharaoh Thutmosis II is the Pharaoh that I believe is the one that ordered for all of the Hebrew males to be drowned in the Nile River when they were born. This was the Pharaoh who put a price out on Moses' head. He has now died. His son, Pharaoh Thutmosis III, has been declared the new Pharaoh. But I'm doing this because he was really young when his father died. And therefore, the chief wife of his father, okay, the chief wife of Thutmosis II, a woman who was not the boy Pharaoh's mother, was named co-regent. And her name was Hathshephut. So everybody say Hathshephut. Hathshephut is known as one of the queens of the Egyptians. And she ruled Egypt while Thutmosis III was young. And then when he grew up, she kept ruling. And she kept ruling. And she kept ruling. And monuments and statues that normally would have been made in honor of the boy Pharaoh and then the man Pharaoh, well, she had them being made with her depiction, in her honor, to her glory. And finally, there came a point where Hathshephut declared herself the Pharaoh of Egypt. For more than 20 years, while Moses is shepherding in Midian, this queen Hathshephut is ruling Egypt. And rather than turning against her or rebelling against her, Thutmosis III became the captain of her armies. One thing to know about Thutmosis III, and this is the Pharaoh that we're going to be dealing with in most of the book of Exodus, this was a man who loved war. This was a man who loved violence. He, he loved conquering. And when Hathshephet finally died of bone cancer in her 50s, 
he became the sole Pharaoh of Egypt. And this Thutmosis III would reign for 54 years with three distinct phases of his rule. This is really interesting, so just stick with me for this history lesson because I think it's actually pretty cool if you think about it. Um, First phase of his rule. From 1495 to 1464 B.C., Thutmose III ruled as co-regent with Queen Hathshephet. Hathshephet was really ruling. He was growing up and then became captain of her armies. Then with her death, we have what are known as the Years of Conquering. From 1464 to 1446 B.C., we have the second phase of Thutmose III's reign. He is now the sole pharaoh of Egypt, And beginning in his second year as sole pharaoh of Egypt, he launched a new military campaign every year for 17 years straight. Egypt was never larger. Egypt was never more powerful in the history of the world than it was under Pharaoh Thutmosis III. This is why this pharaoh is known as the Napoleon of Egypt. Egypt reached its greatest breadth in this world under the military campaigns of Thutmosis III. And then in 1446, after 17 straight years of military campaigns, something happens. This pharaoh will reign another 15 years, but in those 15 years, he will never launch another military campaign. What happened in 1446 B.C.? Well, you may know that that is, as close as we can tell, the best date for the exodus of Israel out of Egypt. I would suggest that 1446 B.C. is the year that Moses comes back to Egypt to stand before Pharaoh and demand that he set God's people free. And that this is the year when this Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man in the ancient world at this time, and indeed the most powerful Pharaoh that Egypt would ever know, and he would be humbled before God, and his military campaigns would be brought to an end. So I think that's interesting. I hope you do as well. All right, now we come to verse 21. To verse 21. And this is the verse that stunned me so many years ago. So look at it again. Here's what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Altogether, between Exodus 4, where we are now, and Exodus 14, we are going to see Pharaoh's hard heart spoken of 20 times different times. In other words, Pharaoh's heart is actually a very important part of this story. Pharaoh's heart is at the heart of what the Exodus story is all about. Twenty times we're going to read about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. When the Bible calls his heart hard, the word literally means stubborn, it's a, it's a heart that refuses to submit, refuses to give in. It's an obstinate heart. Of the 20 verses that we are going to read, six simply tell us that Pharaoh's heart was hard. Six just state. doesn't tell us who did it. just says Pharaoh's heart was hard. Three verses are going to tell us that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. 
So Exodus 8.15, for example. But when Exodus saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And so Pharaoh, three times we are told, hardened his own heart. The remaining 11 verses all say that it was God who hardened Pharaoh's heart. So for example, Exodus 9 verse 12, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So Pharaoh's heart is going to be stubborn and unrelenting. Three times we're told he had a hardened heart. I'm sorry. (laughs) Three times we're told he hardened his own heart. Eleven times we're told that God hardened his heart. All of these verses are true. And all of these verses are speaking about the same heart. So what do we learn from this? Well, I want to put before you six lessons that I think we learn from this truth. Number one, God is just and right to harden any person's heart he chooses. God is just and right to harden any person's heart he chooses. This is what took so long for me to wrap my mind around. God does not owe anyone the opportunity to be saved. And not every single, I'm sorry, every single person who has ever lived has rebelled against God. And God is worthy of our love and our obedience. We have dishonored God. We have attacked His glory. And God's allegiance is to His own glory. That's the very essence of true justice. And therefore, God would be right to consign every sinner who has ever lived into hell. And He owes not one of us the opportunity to repent. He doesn't owe that to anybody. Moreover, Just because God gives someone else the opportunity to repent does not mean that He is required to give everybody the same opportunity to repent. God's mercy towards one sinner does not obligate Him to show mercy towards another sinner. God is free to do as He pleases. Mount Hermon, we live in a culture of self-entitlement. We are constantly being told that we deserve this new great product or we deserve to be happy and to be prosperous. And so we need to be very clear. God owes us nothing except hell. That is our just deserts from God. You can take the Bible or you can leave the Bible, but we can't play games with the Bible. When God says in Romans 9.18 that He has mercy on whomever He wills and that He hardens whomever He wills, that is exactly what it means. God has the sovereign prerogative to open some people's eyes and to give them hearts that submit to Him and believe Him and obey Him. And He has the exact same prerogative to keep some people blind and to close their ears up so that they refuse to hear his message and to submit. One person, hears, one person may hear the gospel one time, and by the grace of God, that person believes, submits his heart to Christ, and is saved. Another person may hear the gospel a thousand times, 
and he or she watches the preacher plead again and again for repentance. And maybe friends or loved ones take this person aside and have private conversations. And in tears, they plead with this person to trust Jesus. And God hardens that person's heart. And they will not believe. God has the right to do that. And He does do it. He does do it. And He remains a good God. Second, we see here that God is sovereign over the human heart and that He exercises that sovereignty. God's sovereignty over Pharaoh's heart is very clear here in Exodus. God tells us ahead of time what he's going to do with Pharaoh's heart. He tells Moses even before it happens what he's going to do to Pharaoh's heart and then he does it and he does it again and he does it again and he does it again. He sends Moses to plead with Pharaoh to submit to God and as Moses is pleading, God is hardening. Jeremiah's ministry was very much like that. God sent Jeremiah to the people to plead with them to repent. And as he pleaded with them, God was hardening them. Isaiah. Isaiah was like that. God told Isaiah, remember? Keep reading in Isaiah 6. Sometimes we stop with the awesome, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. You've got those awesome seraphim that are around Him, covering their eyes and flying and covering their feet. It's that wonderful passage, here am I, Lord, send me. What comes after that? God says to Isaiah, go preach. And as you preach, I'm going to close their eyes and I'm going to close their ears and they will not listen. As these prophets spoke on behalf of God, calling people to repent, God Himself was working to harden their hearts. Jesus quoted Isaiah and said it was true of His own own ministry. Jesus said that God was hardening the hearts of the people so that they would not accept Him as the Messiah. And nevertheless, we are told that Jesus was grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus both could say, you don't see because my Father will not let you see. And he could say, I am grieved at your hardness of heart. Friends, when we say that God is the potter and we are the clay, we are not just using some nice picture. This really is how God works. And this truth ought to humble us. This truth ought to put us in our place. We will never find true peace. We will never find true joy until we come to our true place. Satan wants you to follow his path of seeking to exalt yourself, seeking to be a God yourself. But that's a lie. You will only come to know true joy when you realize that God is God and we are not when we find our happiness in being the clay and looking at the potter and seeing Him and adoring Him and worshiping Him, yielding to His sovereign hand. God wasn't just a potter for a little part of your life. He didn't simply fashion you in your mother's womb and then stop and take His hands off. Every one of us is still on the potter's wheel. 
Every one of us is still being shaped by God. He is shaping you right now for the eternity He has planned for you. He is shaping you through outside influences. His providence is is at work so that not one event, no matter how big or how small, happens in your life apart from His sovereign plan for you. And He is also shaping you through His mysterious influences upon your mind and upon your heart. Your heart is in God's hand, and He can turn it wherever He wills. And so the question for us is this. What kind of pot are you? What kind of vessel is God forming? God will get glory from you. You will be a pot that serves God. Will you be one of those pots formed for destruction? Have you been formed in order to be thrown into hell, bringing eternal glory to God for His just wrath because of your sin? It is right for God to show the glory of His wrath. His wrath is a good attribute. Or are you a vessel of mercy? Are you a pot prepared for redemption? Are you a pot being made to exist as a trophy of God's grace in heaven forever? Third truth. There is a mysterious harmony between God's sovereign will and the choices of people. There is a mysterious harmony between the sovereign will of God and the choices of people. For example, I quoted Exodus 8.15 earlier. Listen to it again. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So think about that. We're told that Pharaoh hardened his own heart and that this was exactly as the Lord had said. And what had the Lord said? The Lord had said that the Lord would harden Pharaoh's heart. Moses is saying that Pharaoh's hardening of his own heart was a fulfillment of God's promise that God would harden Pharaoh's heart. In other words, as we read through these next chapters, Exodus 4 to 14, it's not that sometimes God is hardening Pharaoh's heart and other times Pharaoh is hardening Pharaoh's heart. No. God hardened Pharaoh's heart through Pharaoh hardening his own heart. God worked through the intentions and the attitudes and the choices of Pharaoh. He moved the heart of Pharaoh. There is a mysterious harmony between God's sovereign will and the choices of people. One of the most astounding passages in the Bible, I think, is Isaiah 63, verse 17. Um, We have the people of Israel crying out. And they're crying out because they're guilty of so many sins. The people of Israel are crying out because they have been a stubborn people. But listen to what they cry out in Isaiah 63, 17. O Lord! Why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. In other words, behind their own sins, behind their own stubbornness, the people of Israel see another hand at work. 
they know that if God would be gracious to them, their hearts would not be inclined to such wickedness. Yes, they are sinning. Yes, they are making free choices to worship other gods and live in immorality. But in a moment of seeing clearly, they realize that those choices are springing from where? Their hearts. And they say, if God would only be gracious and soften our hearts, we would want and we would choose to do the right. Mount Hermon, I cannot take away the mystery of how God's sovereign will and your choices relate. It is a mystery. I can show you the mystery and I can point you to it because it is in the pages of the Bible. The Bible gives us some help, but the Bible does not take away the mystery. Rather, it asks us to stand and wonder at the mystery. Number four. Human beings are still responsible and culpable for their choices. Human beings are still responsible and culpable for their choices. God is going to punish Pharaoh and the people of Egypt severely. Pharaoh's firstborn son is going to die. The firstborn sons of the people of Egypt are going to die we are going to see many Egyptians drowned in the Red Sea. And there is never an indication in Exodus that this is anything other than the judgment of God upon those people for their sins. God never, ever, ever punishes anyone who is not guilty and deserving of the punishment. There is no injustice with God. God only does what is good. He only does what is right. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God judges Pharaoh justly. God hardened the hearts of the people of Israel. And they would not listen to Jesus or accept Him as their Messiah. And God judged His people. And He judged them justly. It is possible that God could be hardening the heart of someone in this room. I pray that He is not. Maybe you keep hearing the gospel and you keep rejecting it. And you will go to hell. And it will be exactly as God ordained for you from all eternity. But make no mistake. Not one horror of hell suffered by you will be undeserved or unjust. You will be fully responsible for your sins. You will be culpable. And you will never be able to blame God for one sin, for one moment of rebellion, for one moment of unbelief. What is the message here? Don't harden your heart against God. Don't continue to reject the Lord Jesus Christ and the way of salvation that God has provided. Don't keep putting off obedience to Jesus. Don't live in sin as if it's no big deal. But follow Jesus and fight sin and pursue love. Don't harden your heart. And if you do, if you pursue a soft heart, if you, if you repent, if you submit to Christ, you will one day look back and realize ultimately it was God's hand 
that was behind it all. You'll equally see that you did it. (laughs) You willingly repented. People do choose to follow Jesus. I've been around some people who, you know, growing up we used to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Do you all know this song? Okay, so we, we grew up singing, and I know some folks who think, oh, we shouldn't sing that song, because ultimately, if we're saved, God did it. Yes, God did it, but He did it through our choice. People do still decide to follow Jesus. And ultimately, if they decide to follow Jesus, it's because God moved their heart to do so. And people do still choose to reject the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're responsible for that. And ultimately, it was God who continued to blind and harden their heart. Number five, God is sovereign over all other powers. God is sovereign over all other powers. We cannot miss this by getting sidetracked on the discussion of God's sovereignty and human responsibility because this really is the main point. This is the reason that Pharaoh's heart is mentioned 20 times in 10 chapters. This isn't just anybody's heart that God is hardening here. It is Pharaoh's heart. In ancient Egypt, the heart was the very essence of a person. Um, Doug Stewart, Egyptian scholar, Old Testament scholar, says this, Egyptian religious texts speak often of the heart as the representation of a person's basic essence, the place where a person's guilt and innocence, motives and general righteousness are to be found. In Egyptian thinking, the weighing and evaluating of the heart by the gods at the time of a person's death was a means of determining whether or not one is a sinner and therefore whether or not one can go to the Egyptian equivalent of heaven. The Egyptian pharaoh was supposed to be a pure person, a divine manifestation of the gods, and the one whose sovereignty over the people was credentialized in part by his purity of heart. The idea that Yahweh could do whatever he wanted with Pharaoh's heart, and specifically could harden it, was both an evidence of Yahweh's control over all things, including the mightiest monarch of the day, and also evidence that Yahweh had done what the Egyptians thought their gods would usually do, that it is Yahweh that weighs the heart and decides whether the owner is worthy of eternal life or not. Yahweh had, as it were, weighed Pharaoh and found him wanting. So Mount Hermon, the Egyptian gods, Ra, sometimes called Re, Horus, these gods were said to have sovereignty over the whole world, And these two gods supposedly incarnated themselves in the person of Pharaoh. So when God can harden Pharaoh's heart, God is saying to the world, there is no power in all the universe that is outside of my control. Remember that tomorrow, Christian. There is no power in the universe that is outside of God's control. There is no power whatsoever outside the control of your heavenly Father. Every stoplight, every cog and gear in your car engine, every heart of every human being you encounter, indeed every spiritual being that you cannot see but can do you harm, God has power over them all. And therefore nothing can hinder your Father from fulfilling His promise to do you good 
and to bring you safely to the promised land called heaven. Sixth, finally, God's utter sovereignty is the foundation of all our hope. God's utter sovereignty is the foundation of all our hope. And I'm speaking now directly to Christians. Why did God tell Moses ahead of time that he was going to Pharaoh Hardin's heart? God told Moses this ahead of time so that he would not be discouraged and thrown aback when it happened. God is caring for Moses by teaching him that he is sovereign over Pharaoh and in the end, God is going to accomplish his purpose through Pharaoh. What do we see in Exodus? God tells Moses that he, God, will harden Pharaoh's heart and then it happens. And Moses sees the word of God proven true and he has reason for hope. Moses has reason to believe that in the end, God will fulfill his word and lead his people out of Egypt. In the same way, God tells you ahead of time that sufferings and trials are going to accompany you in this life. God has also told you that He is the one who has ordained every trial and suffering in your life. God has ordained the frequency and the nature and the severity of your trials. Your God will not let you be tested beyond what you can handle. And therefore, when your trials come, they are confirmation of God's Word that He really is sovereign. And therefore, we have good reason for hope. Even through our trials, God will faithfully fulfill His Word and bring us to heaven. Because of God's sovereignty, we have hope in our trials and we keep believing. Paul said, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Why? Because he believed that his sovereign God ruled over every trial. Mount Hermon, don't ever compromise on the sovereignty of God. Don't ever try and minimize it. The sovereignty of God is all your hope. It is your belief that He is capable of doing what He has said He will do. And He will do it. And so let us trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us trust that our sovereign God will bring us through every trial and into heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.